0: Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture.
1: Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
2: Uh, Welcome to the last cultural engagement chapel of the semester. Um, We've got something completely new going on here. There is no introduction. So in a year, I've gone from here's Daryl to... Take care of it yourself. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, let me open this up in a word of prayer. We'll begin. Father, we do pause before you and give you thanks this day for your involvement in our lives. From our very creation made in your image to being uh, drawn to you and now uh, indwelt by your spirit, we give you thanks for your presence in our lives. We thank you for everything that it, it took to bring us here. Um, activity in promises for thousands of years ago, activity in our Lord Jesus, his life and ministry, his death and his resurrection, activity in the present through the spirit that indwells us. And we pray that we might be people who are faithful in our walk with you and that as we engage in, in life in this world, as we are sent as ambassadors on your behalf, as we rep- represent you as children of God, we pray that we may do so faithfully. Be with us now in this hour as we chat about cultural engagement. We pray that we might, uh, might be encouraged by the things that we discuss. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Uh, our topic today is cultural engagement. And, and this is, um, we're, we're, we're rapidly coming up to the third year of doing cultural engagement. So I thought what I would do is I would grab some students who've been here kind of since we launched for whom they didn't know they've never known seminary without cultural engagement Now I could look at the faculty over there and they would all go I know about seminary without cultural engagement (laughs) anyway (laughs) but uh, uh, and and talk about the impact of of what cultural engagement has meant for them and then we have uh, microphones here and about halfway through as we often do we're going to open it up just for your kind of open-ended cultural engagement questions but so I have with me Mikel del Rosario who's worked with us in the Hendricks Center has kind of been uh, my right-hand person in terms of uh, dealing with issues related to the table and all the, the planning and posting and transcripting and all that stuff that you see uh, Mikel is responsible for and then Casey summer who's an in, is interning with us Uh, now and and opted into an internship with us which uh, I'll I'll ask you about the psychology of that later Um, anyway uh, and then Kim Cook, who works in the does is our events manager at the Hendricks Center, but also has uh, she she and I have had many conversations about the relative value of theology versus exegesis oh at the seminary. So, uh, so welcome. anyway, so we're gonna so I, I won't pull you into that discussion <laughs> now. So, uh, so anyway, um, but I'm gonna start with Mikel. Mikkel, you uh, majored in apologetics at at Biola when you were there and we've talked many times since you've come about what you got there and what you've got here and how you've put that together so why don't you kind of tell people a little bit of your story and what got you started in the with this area of interest sure well when I
0: was at Biola I did my MA in apologetics graduated 2003 from there Um, while I was an undergrad at Biola I also got to work in the philosophy department for Scott Ray and JP Moreland and got to take classes um, with William Lane Craig and so Biola is really um, has a heavy emphasis on philosophy. Mm-hmm. And so I felt very prepared as a generalist coming out of that program to do apologetic speaking and training and do some adjunct work teaching apologetics. But I wanted to specialize in historical Jesus. And so many years later, after doing um, work overseas as a missionary and uh, coming back, found myself on campus at Biola again. Yeah. And I met somebody who I used to work for, Scott Ray, and Mom. told him about that. And he's like, you should meet my friend Daryl. <laughs> uh, because I was thinking about DTS. So coming over here, um, being able to focus more on the Bible and answer some of these uh, kinds of Ermine uh, esque kinds of challenges to Scripture and focus on um, historical Jesus is something I've really been um, uh, appreciative of to kind of put those two things together.
2: So so the, the, what I'm hearing is there are kind of two parts to the, to the way you've put cultural engagement together. One is a kind of a philosophical base and a, a worldview-ish kind of approach to things, and the other is The life of the details. Yeah, Is that fair enough? Yeah, yeah. But then beyond merely
0: the the content of apologetics, whether it's philosophical apologetics or um, biblical apologetics, coming to cultural engagement, which, honestly, I didn't really know what that was when Uh when we first um, met each other. That's because no one does it. That's right. Go ahead. Was to understand, yes, we have to have a ready defense. Mm -hmm. But when you're not doing that ready defense, when you're not in Q&A mode, how Mm -hmm. are you an ambassador of Christ Mm -hmm. when you're not – strictly doing actual apologetics, because mm-hmm. there's, there's a silent apologetic, if you would, that, that sets it up for, um, for that conversation, mm-hmm. because our apologetics, our, our um, uh, evangelistic conversations don't happen in a vacuum. They don't hear these arguments in a vacuum. They come wrapped in a wrapper that is your life. And so, how are we responding to um, the issues of the day, and how are we uh, seeing our work the way God does? Our coworkers, the way God does these kinds of things, play into the way our
2: apologetics and evangelism is actually heard. Okay, uh, you've mentioned the faith and work thing, uh, Casey. Um, how do you how do you put? cultural engagement together and what have you gotten out of your experience with it?
3: It's been interesting because when I first came on there as an intern with you I was really lo- in, interested in the college study that we're doing with the universities and seeing the different issues that arise there but over my time that faith and worth a- work faith and work aspect has become huge. Um, I've got to work with Bill Hendricks over there and just seeing how much that your giftedness plays into Uh, everything that you do not just the things you do on Sunday not just the things that you do during your work week um, but it's holistic Um, and during that process uh, I've just grown to love it Um, and not only at the faith and work movement but how it really comes together with culture and cultural engagement um, and taking us back to Genesis one, and not just Genesis three, mm-hmm. where most people are stuck. Okay. Um.
2: And Kim, uh, you've you've watched this kind of as well uh, develop, but you've got another element to your life that's important. You minister with your husband to. Um, College and career level age people. Are, I think that's right. Or did I have that right mm-hmm. in terms of the ministry? Okay. So, what does that dimension add to this conversation for you in terms of thinking about how cultural engagement works, particularly when you think about plugging it into a ministry where you're ministering alongside your husband with with mm-hmm. substantially, um, you know, a pretty young group that's that's trying to figure out where they're landing in life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um- well, the first thing you have to understand about me, and y'all, Dr. Brock completely understands this, um, is that I hate tension um, with everything in me. Interpersonal tension, fake tension on movies. I can't stand, like, the climax points at the movie, you know, where everything, the plot's coming together. I fast-forward those, and it drives my husband crazy, but I cannot, I cannot stand tension. <laughs> it, theologically, I can, but, like... In real life I can't handle it um, so this I actually believe I think you knew this but I was here a little bit before cultural engagement uh-huh. and so um, I kind of ended up in this because I got a job there <laughs> and um, this person who really doesn't like tension or controversial topics or anything like that is now doing luncheons about controversial topics and <laughs> our um, Brainstorming meetings are about all of the hard things going on, you know And everything Christians need to wrestle with and and I'm just sitting there kind of wanting to melt into my chair and so this overall the experience of kind of being forced mm-hmm. <laughs> to talk about these things has made me realize um, that being Christian, you know, like we talk about that at the seminary here often as far as like doctrines go, you know, to be Christian is to believe these things. I, I feel like I've learned that being Christian is also to do certain actions mm-hmm. and to care mm-hmm. and to care about what's going on and to care about difficult, difficult topics and difficult areas in our world. And you don't have to care about all of them and you don't have to care about the ones that you know, maybe people are just saying something so that they have something to say on twenty four hour news. you know, but but that to be a Christian is to care and to pay attention to things and to engage on some level. Um, and because that's, partly, I mean, that's what Christ did, and that's what he calls us to when we're called to reach out and make disciples and all of that. And um, I'm an introvert that doesn't like tension and likes to study, so that's a very tall order for me. Mm-hmm. But how it relates to the to the um, young adults at the church is I've started like, believe it or not, this is groundbreaking for me. I had a news I have a news app on my phone now that hmm. I check. Hmm. I know what's going on. <laughs> I figured, you know what's going on in the news? And I try to stay in conversations. And so when the young adults come to us with difficult topics that they are facing in the real world, I haven't I kind of have an answer or I can at least I can talk to them about it and I'm, I'm a little bit more willing to do it because of and, and to talk about those things because of what I've learned through the cultural engagement process here at DTS.
2: Yeah, one one things that one th- things I like to say about what we're trying to do is when you come to seminary and you learn to handle scripture, usually what you do is you go from the Bible to life. You go from, you know, you go through a book or you look at a doctrine or you look at a topic and and you're going from the biblical text to life. Unfortunately, when you get out in ministry, most people work the Bible in the reverse direction. They bring their life to Scripture and they're asking, in terms of where God has them, uh, what what does Scripture have to say about what I'm going through? Or how do I view that? That's actually a reverse direction and there actually is almost a different kind of, of hermeneutic, a different kind of reading that you have to undergo in order to to read Scripture this way. And the premise that we've sort of been operating with is, is the seminary does a very good job, and seminaries in general do a very good job of having people go from the Bible to life, but going from life to the Bible, back to the Bible, is kind of a different, different track. And it's a little more topical, it's a little more holistic. It requires biblical and systematic theology in a lot of ways, brought together in a – in a in a cohesive way, that, that really seminaries struggle to do. So, how much has, uh, doing that as a background, how much has, has that dimension of what we are trying to do uh, impacted the way you think about, about reading, reading and engaging with Scripture? Mikkel? Hmm.
0: I think when, when I often go out to speak and get questions, I think well. First of all, I'll back up. Sometimes people say, "Isn't it great that you get to use what you're learning in seminary, mm-hmm. and you go out to speak?" And I think well, actually, a lot of the things that I'm being asked to speak on are kind of these general apologetics, kinds of philosophical questions. Um, but then when I get the Q and A time, people aren't. I'm, I'm going well. People aren't going to ask me about reading an apparatus. You know, how how am I going to bring what I <laughs> what I learned from DTS to this? But people ask me questions that aren't your strict apologetics questions of, uh, you know, content. They say, how can I relate to my gay friends? Mm-hmm. They say, how can I, um, you know, relate to this or that? Just the issues that we talk about. And so being able to to have those people's needs in your mind when you're doing your homework um, helps us say, okay, I'm going to study what this passage is about, but then I'm going to remember that so that when someone has a question about their life, where they're at, I can take them from life to the Bible and explain those kinds of things. Okay. I'm
2: going to put – gonna, we're going to save that idea in the cache because you've introduced something that I think is important in terms of how you personally interact on these issues. It's not just what the issue is, but how you personally interact that's important. I'm going to save that. I want to come back to that. That's a really important theme. Casey, uh, how, how do you think about going from life back to the Bible?
3: Absolutely. Um, this is very interesting and very intricate to the I was teaching in the Lane Institute this semester on the top of the cultural engagement and this was key um, a lot of my people that were in my class you know they're coming in with these situations that they have questions about and they're looking for specific answers and one of the things that I promised them was well I'm probably not going to give you more answers I'm probably going to end up with more questions mm-hmm. at the end because as we go to scripture you have to try to hold it all together um, you, you know, even starting from Genesis 1 and creation, there's a goodness, and there's a lot of things that are implied in there, and then we have the fall, and then there is um, redemption and restoration, and somehow you have to try to pull these all together. So no matter how you, um, what decision you decide to engage on, whether it be to support something, to, uh, to push something away, whether to critique something like that, you have to do it in a way that not only is speaking uh, truthfully, um, but you have to keep in balance of grace and love and the goodness of, of of the Imago Dei and everything in there. And that's,
2: now, that's I difficult. got to evaluate one of Casey's classes for the I guess what do we call it now? They don't call it the Lay Institute; that's the old name. But anyway, he's teaching this class on cultural engagement, and he does a class on movies. Okay, now at first ask yourself this question: Where are movies in the Bible? Okay, just just pause and think about that for a second, and then and, and so and. The tape begins with one of his students saying to him, I don't watch television and I don't watch movies. Okay, so how's he going to interact with that guy? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so um, other than we want to give him an introductory, you know, an introductory ticket to the beginning of cultural engagement. But other than that, um, so, so talk a little bit about how did you, how, how you handled um, your approach to movies and what you tried to achieve with that.
3: Oh, man. <clears throat> there's a lot of, lot of things that we covered. Uh, and, of course, we didn't have near enough time to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I wanted them to primarily see is uh, you might have a spectrum of movies. And I, and I kind of called it you might put it in three parts. This side over here, these movies that you would not even question about going to, hey, you'd let your kids go to. In the middle, there's kind of a shady area where you have to think critically about it. And then there's an, another side that's even over here where you're like, you write it off, oh, I'm not going to go see it. Um, but what we do uh, with these two chunks right here is a lot of times we, uh, we really keep our arms distance away from them. Um, and I wanted them to see that uh, even though it is good and right to even certain movies be like, you know what? I don't think it's wholesome to go see these. We still need to try to understand why these movies are being produced. Um, what issues the, the, the broader culture is actually caring about and uh, talking about. And I, you know, I thought I'd set a fire just a little bit. And so I brought up the, the movie Fifty Shades of Grey, like that. And of course, uh, a little bit of an older generation in there. And it was just you could see the arms going up like this. <laughs> <laughs> 50 walls of gray. Absolutely. And, and I asked them, what, why is this movie being made? And why are, are crowds flocking to it? Um, and you read reviews on it. And what's the first thing it says? Well, sex sells. Uh, and I told them, well, if that's the case, um, you can pop open your, your computer awfully quickly and for, for free rather than going to a movie and paying a bunch of money to do it. So there's something that lies be- beneath the surface here. And, and I was just, I even brought up one of the songs that's in there and it's called Love You, um, love Me Like You Do. Um, and just showing to them that there's a deeper issue here that people don't feel loved. There's this void in their life and they're seeking out some way to, to find that love. Um, even if it is in all the wrong places. And you should just see the, the look on their face. This this start to be like, wow. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think about all that hurt in people's lives. Um, and even maybe they had friends that went and saw it. And all of a sudden there that, that, that was something that was clicking in their mind. They said, oh, I judge them th- for thinking that their only reason for going there is because they wanted to see sex. Um, but maybe there's something deeper in their life that they that that's really a hole there the,
2: the interesting thing about that tape was is that because uh, I'm, I'm seeing this on videotape they're recording it is is watching kind of it was kind of a normal classroom atmosphere mm-hmm. until you got to this point Yeah. and then the whole dynamic of the class changed in terms of the kinds of conversations that took place in the and and what was being discussed you kind of Dug beneath the surface in terms of what it is that people are wrestling with which I, I told you we've got that thing in the cash That's what we're working our way towards um, Kim let me ask you this because it gets a variation of this kind of question when you minister to this group that you find yourself ministering to um, how, how much time in ministry is spent interacting with people in terms of what they are facing in their lives? I mean <laughs>
1: like 95% of it, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. My husband does most of the teaching, so probably 95 for me, probably 90 for him. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it, from where I'm at, you know, and I'm I'm a pastor's wife at this point, and like that's, you know, I graduated mm-hmm. in, in May, so I'm not technically a student, sorry. <laughs> um, table, but, um, She's I, an alum. I... <laughs> I i don't know as you as you ask the question and what what role does it take in hearing you all especially ukc you, what you're saying i just i don't know i i just think of the faces of the people in my ministry who they come up to me and you know somebody had a really hard discussion with somebody at work about and and the person was kind of coming after them for for believing for being a christian and for what they believe and and some of them are real technical questions you know that here we are kind of trained to answer, but other ones are coming from that person's felt need, mm-hmm. you know, um, fear and over hell and and all of that because fear is in our society and everybody's afraid of you know being killed somewhere sometime quickly and suddenly you know and so fear and despair are just permeating everything and so they could bring that to us and it and it's just. This is why I'm so thankful for the education that I have been given here, and, um, because not that they don't have the Bible, but we can introduce them to elements of the Bible that can help ease that fear. We can introduce them to things that the Lord has said about himself that help ease those fears. But exa- exactly what you're saying, it's coming from where they're at in life and saying, here, there's, there's peace here. You know, there's, there's mercy here. There is goodness here. And you can go out and you can show them that, too. And at least you know why you believe this, you know, and, and, and it can steady you in the midst of this. And that, that's, that itself is an apologetic. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, what we're, what we're kind of surfacing here is that there are kind of two dimensions to cultural engagement. One is the dimension of the content of what you deal with. But the second is being very aware of where the people are coming from that are that you're engaged with, and and gaining some sensitivity um, to what they're about, what they're about, and where they're coming from. Another thing that we do spend a lot of time talking about, as we think about cultural engagement, is the issue of tone mm-hmm. as we engage. So um, I'm going to go in reverse order this time. So ladies first. Uh, so let let's talk about uh, the tone of engagement, and and I think the way I want to talk about this is is what you see out there oftentimes in tone, particularly if you're on Facebook or or in in, in social media,
1: which I avoid.
2: <laughs> you're consistent. I'll give you that. so uh, um, you know versus versus kind of the way we've tried to to talk about tone here what What have you picked up from what we're what we've been doing?
1: Well, I mean, I, I kind of feel like it's a little bit of, you know what I was just saying about about the peace you know that as Christians we should be you know um, known by and marked by the peace and contentment of the Lord and and when we approach our conversations and when we approach difficult tension filled conversations with that peace and with um love and mercy and like I said even contentment and where you're at even if it doesn't come out like you want it to or you know things are are difficult it's still I, I don't know I think that that speaks volumes and and I think that that part is as a part of the tone element is just coming at it and being gentle and. Um, still standing up for what you believe in, absolutely, and, and saying it clearly and saying it well. But at the same time, I think that those elements of just gentleness, we don't, we don't have those in our culture apart from Christ. Hmm. Hmm. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast.
4: I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like,
2: If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican.
3: When I, first of all, I want to clarify, when I think about tone, uh, a lot of times the first thing we go to is just how we say something. But when I think about tone and, and this whole idea of engagement, it's bigger. It's about the how of how we approach everything. Um, so first of all, obviously, what, how we talk to someone, but even how you show love to someone, whether it's a hug, uh, that sets the tone for the conversation. Uh, I kind of set up in my class during when we were talking about this issue uh, of of two categories, things that we have in our control and things that are out of our control. Um, And the things that are out of our control might be someone's philosophy in life. Uh, What is their faith? Um, You know, what is their epistemology and what what do they hold as being uh, the grounds for truth? Um, We can't change those. And so we have to learn to adapt um, to that person's, uh, who they are, uh, and we can't just go in there and try to force um, them to change that. The second thing is the things that are in our control. And tone is the primary one of those. Um, and we can learn how to adapt to that. Even someone's se- uh, sensitivities. Um, when you're walking into a conversation, have you asked that person about their life a little bit so that you know what the things they've gone through, so that you know what things not to say? Um, a lot of times as Christians, we, we get stuck in this Christianese kind of a thing using high highfalutin words that... Uh, by the time you roll one or two of those out, they're just like, whoosh, and guess what? Their ears shut too. Um, so, just learning how to be sensitive um, to that person's filter um, because uh, you have to let that person uh, know that it's a safe place and that you care about them with the tone of not only your voice and what you're saying and the way that you're loving them before they're even willing to listen to those other issues that are, you know, those core doctrinal issues that you're trying to
0: eventually get to, but it's probably not gonna happen right away. Michael? You know, when I I finished my internship with you, Garrett challenged me to um, come up, since I'm a musician, come up with some kind of analogy. How can you uh, relate, like, guitar and apologetics? You know what? It's tone. Mm -hmm. People chase the tone, guitarists, people in the audience, people chase the tone forever. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, as Christians, we don't think about that tone. Mm -hmm. And as we look in the, the scriptures, especially the early church, we see that Tone is loving people well. Mm-hmm. Tone is caring about how do I serve the other person with this information, with the gospel that, that we have. From uh, Paul in Acts 17, not, he's not um, belittling people because they never heard about the Bible. Mm-hmm. He starts where they're at. He says that we're made in God's image. And then he, he makes that re- um, relationship between your creator and who you are. And so when we, we serve people by thinking, OK, what's the most important thing about you? It's not this or that about you, it's that you're made in the image of God. And so when somebody asks me how do I relate to my gay friends and talk about convicted civility, being, being um, strong on what the Bible says about biblical sexual ethics, but also loving people like Jesus would have us love them, to say um, that what is most important about you is that you are made in the image of God. and so serving people well is what tone is about. So when I'm doing my homework and I'm thinking nobody's going to ask me how to read an apparatus, um, mm-hmm. we, we are looking at the variants, and I know why 400,000 variants don't shake my faith. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to belittle somebody because they never heard about these things before. I'm going to take what God's given me and share with them
2: why they can have confidence in the Bible in a way that, that respects where they're at. Okay. Now um, the mics are open, so do feel free if you've got a cultural engagement question or something about cultural engagement or something reflective about cultural engagement you want to ask us as a group. Feel free to move up to the mics. But um, one more question here: the hard part of cultural engagement, I think, for a Christian is the i is dealing with the fact that we all of us. Live in a fallen world, uh, and we're we're inevitably in tension between what we know Scripture says we should be and and where we all are to one degree or another, and and so this inevitably brings up the element of cultural engagement is really uh, in some form going to inevitably be a cultural confrontation, or at least that's how some people will think about it. So how how do you how do you view the balance between? between the challenge of, of challenging where someone is, on the one hand, and the reminder that in the midst of that, the ultimate goal is extending a hand uh, with an invitation to participate in the gospel in, in, in another. In other words, the goal is not to crush the enemy, uh, but to actually uh, open the door, uh, hopefully a door and a path towards faith. How do you, how do you wrestle with that tension? I think sometimes in
0: conversation, we, we're we so quick to want to give people the answer. Sometimes we don't listen to the questions. And so to really care about the person and say, is this really the question they're asking? And even if it is, what's behind that question? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes just getting them to take the next step to um, move them to the next conversation is good enough. Hmm. That we just want to keep the, those lines of communication open. Um, it's real easy for us who have, who have studied different arguments for things to, to want to drive them um, in, into a place where they can see things, you know, from our perspective. But the, as you said, that the goal is actually not to win this, you know, quote, culture war, quote unquote, or or win this argument, but to lead people to the place where they can encounter the the savior. Sometimes just moving them to the next conversation is a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Casey, absolutely. Um, to add to that, when we're having these conversations.
3: Uh, couldn't say it better than just asking great questions, um, being interested in someone's life. Uh, one of the things we always talk about is, hey, how do you find doors to someone's life? Um, some of the simplest ways that are just completely uncomplicated is just get to know them. Um, we're all human. We all have certain common experiences. And at least being able to, hey, we have a common experience. How was your experience with that? And all of a sudden, that person will start to open up. Because they say, oh, this person actually cares about what I think. About what I've gone through, you're validating that person's experience, even though uh, it it may be uh, they may have chose a path that wasn't doctrinally sound. But guess what? You've still affirmed that their experience was valid, um, and I feel like that's something that as Christians, a lot of times we are not the best at, is we uh, connect so firmly with that person's decision that we invalidate that person as a person, in their experience. Um, so validating a person and, like you said, keeping a conversation open is huge. And that takes discernment. Um, one of the things I, I, I'm big on is that this whole thing called cultural engagement, it's not necessarily a science. It's an art. Um, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Um, but in the process, like you said, being able to keep that gospel out there at, at the hand's length, and you're, there's an invitation there that that person knows that
2: it's always on the table. And you're not forcing it on them, but it's there. Okay. Let me, let me come back to the phrase that you used, validate their experience, because I think this is something that could be understood or misunderstood depending mm-hmm. on how you, you got it. What, what, what exactly do you mean by validating their experience? What do you mean and what maybe what don't you mean by validating the experience? Absolutely. And I'll
3: start with the what don't I mean, because uh, I think that's important. A lot of people when they hear, oh, you're validating their experience, what they hear is, oh, you are confirming what they're saying. Uh, you think that that's right. Um, and that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying by validating someone's experience is saying uh, you had a valid experience. Um, you are human. Uh, you made a decision or you maybe experienced something a certain way. Uh, does it mean that it's right or wrong? That's, a, that's, in a sense, a separate issue. But validating someone as, as a person that has dignity, um, that uh, they have real emotions, they have real thoughts, um, they have real questions,
2: um, that's important. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does uh, Kim, uh, as you uh, as you think about you, how how long have you and Travis been ministering at, at Park Cities? Five years. Beth, five years. He's so been there five years. I've been, been
1: with them for like
2: four. Okay, so you've been in ministry here for a while. What what did what and and you've now graduated. So we're going to uh-huh. I'm going to draw yeah. on that expertise. Okay. <laughs> well, All right. Spanish By the way, theology. she is proof that eschatology does happen. Okay you know there is a graduation that does come uh, anyway uh, yeah uh, anyway what what did what what advice would you give about about the seminary experience and the preparation that seminary gives you given where you are just really out in ministry
1: as it relates to as it
2: relates to issues issues of interacting with people cultural engagement some of the personal things that we've talked mm-hmm. about here
1: Um. Oh, goodness. I mean, half of y'all are in ministry longer than I've been, so (laughs) you probably know. Um, I think, uh, like I was saying just a little bit earlier, and I hate to keep hitting, you know, this nail on the head, but, like, I... Is this element of contentment and confidence in in what you believe and in... um, Your relationship with the Lord and how he and how he is shaping everybody, and how he has different paths for everybody—not to heaven, but like as he brings them to Um, (laughs) 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 himself—and and and that, um, like you were saying, you know, or I'm sorry, Macale, that like maybe your conversation with them is only bringing them to the next spot, or you know, kind of just letting go of a need to control their decision, be it for Christ or just to make a righteous decision in their life and and to just have confidence in in the Lord and in his ability to work in them as he's worked in you and brought you to this point. Mm -hmm. And And that approaching events and coffees and Sunday morning and all of that really and on good days I do this and I try other days with prayer before each time and just saying I don't really know this person I'm about to have coffee with them. Lord please make something of this Mm -hmm. you know or you know Lord I am so tired and I don't want to be here and God just take me as I am and show me the people that need love today and 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 in the midst of that, just Ministering with him and allowing him to just use you—I don't know if
2: that's helpful or not. Yeah, let me <laughs> let me let me paraphrase or try and put in different words what I think part of what you're saying that I think is pretty important, and that is, when you minister out of a confidence and you minister out of a peace, you don't minister out of anger, you don't minister out of frustration, mm-hmm. you, you, you or don't or an agenda or having a, There are all kinds of things that come with it, and so so uh, it, it, it's having it's having. Uh, the calmness to be able to step into the difficult mm-hmm. conversation and not feel threatened by the conversation you're walking into. Is that's, that is that what
1: you're doing? That mm. is way more eloquent than I was, yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and letting people know they have you have their best in mind mm-hmm. in, in everything, not just in spiritual things. Because mm-hmm. if you have their best in mind in, in a coworker relationship or in a tutor mentee relationship, whatever, then they can trust that when you're talking about what's most important to you in life that you're doing it because you want their best. Mm -hmm. You're not there to try to make yourself look smarter or try to, you know, add another conversion onto your belt, but that you really have their best in mind.
2: Yeah, we we have a saying that we often use when we talk about this. It goes, um, they won't care about your critique unless they know you care. Mm -hmm. And and so in that sense, having that dimension to the way you're interacting is important. Well, we've got some people standing up here at, at the mics, I think, so go ahead.
1: Hi. Yep, yeah, I have a question in terms of how can we best engage with people who have already been hurt by the church or by Christians or
0: by any of us who have shown them condemnation? How can we love mm-hmm. them well and show them that that's not the way that Christianity or the church truly is? How can we engage with them when they already have that mindset?
2: Let me tell you about a podcast that we, which we taped last week. Uh, It was with a fellow named Caleb Kaltenbach, who's in our DMIN program. He also is a Talbot Biola grad. There seems to be a a line (laughs) that runs from California to Texas. Uh, And um, he was raised in a home that ended up – he ended up being raised in a home that had three gay parents. Okay, so let me walk you through this. His parents got divorced when he was two years old his mom came out as gay and the woman that she had that she had a relationship with moved into the house and raised him Um, his father he discovered was gay when he hit college so he basically been raised by three gay parents he talked about the this podcast begins with him talking about marching in gay parade marches with his mother when he was young, and he's feeling the hostility coming from Christians as he's doing as he's in the march. Um, he talked about his attitude to Christianity that he had growing up because of those experiences, and then he talked about the contrast of some of the relationships he entered into with Christians that basically opened him up for the gospel. Mm. And, uh, and and the way in which what he saw from those people was different from what he experienced in the parades. And he talks about this on the podcast. And he eventually um, came to the Lord and is now in ministry. In fact, he pastors out in California. Um, and he, with, a, with a special, he's just written a book called Messy Grace, talking about this experience. And so what you're, what you're seeing is a person who, use the phrase that casey used validated experience validated experience not in saying that you we think your experience is true or right or right on but simply we we understand where you're coming from and have gotten and got to know them well enough and close enough to come alongside and and to and to walk through that experience with them and in some cases to crash the stereotypes that had developed previously because of the experience that they had had previously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think that's that, that is often a very long process. It can be a very hard and bitter process. I have family members in my own family, particularly in my wife's family, who had bad religious experiences growing up. So religion was a bad thing initially. So to be around religious people in their minds, religious people in their minds, mm-hmm. in their minds who, who don't match what they had experienced, creates a disconnect that then they have to process, which actually ends up being pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, I think, one element of, of the approach that I think mm-hmm. we're talking about. Yeah, Casey. Yeah,
3: I'd really like to piggyback off that. Um, and I, you hit it right on the head as far as we just have to look different. Um, we have to start look, getting a lot better at looking different than the world does. Um, whether it's from Facebook conversations where people are trying to win arguments by just yelling at each other. Um, that's not going to get you anywhere. That's not going to win any brownie points because it, it sees two same things coming from both sides. Um, I wish I had a lot more time to talk about it. But going back to the truth, goodness, and beauty conversation, mm-hmm. um, we have to start showing people not only that it's, it's true, but we're living in more and more of a generation that they value that beauty and the goodness of where it's coming from. Um, and I think that's just foundational of where we've we got to start showing people more of that
0: beauty and the goodness um, that they're not seeing from the rest of the world. And mm-hmm. um, I would add that you empathize with people you are outraged with them when it's appropriate to be outraged with them. You call out hypocrisy in the church, just like you know Jesus did with religious uh, uh, people when it's appropriate to do so, and eventually you point them to Jesus mm-hmm. and say, well, there's so many hypocrites in the church. Do you really think Jesus approves of stuff like that? Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you point them to Jesus, and then you be that Christian. You be the, the Christian that, that shows how Jesus would love that person. And that's a tall order, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do it.
2: Okay. Okay. Next question.
1: Hello, excuse me, Um, Dr. Bach. You
0: said that um, to go from the life from life to the Bible Mm -hmm. takes a different hermeneutic Mm -hmm. than it takes to go from Bible to life. I was wondering if you could explain that um, a little more to
2: man. I would love to give you five dollars for asking that question. That was wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. Let me let me tell you what I think the key thing is, and and I think the key thing in going from life to the Bible is spotting the tensions that a fallen world puts you in. And what I mean by that is, is that sometimes what you find life is delivering to you is either a, a choice between two poor choices, but you have to do something, or in some cases you've got two biblical principles that are running into one another and you're trying to figure out how to balance them. And so the, uh, underneath, underneath the core reading of the text is this recognition of what you're actually contending with in life that is informing the decision that you're trying to make. Uh, I often joke that, that in politics we see this all over the place, but what we see happening in politics is we see different ideologies choosing one biblical value or another biblical value and using it to trump the, other, the second biblical value and in the process negating the conversation we need to have. Let me give you an example, and this will be controversial, and I will pay for this later. Um, and it's on the topic of immigration. If you watched the debate on immigration just two nights ago, and you saw some people standing up for the nation and the right to have her borders, to find who her people are, et cetera, and then you saw other people raising questions about compassion for foreigners and not breaking up families, et cetera. Now my next question is, which of those values is biblical? The fact is, all of them are biblical. The idea that a nation has a right to, to establish its borders and set its and, and protect its people and, and be a nation of laws and have social and civil order and ask people to follow the law, that it's a very biblical idea. But so is the idea that you care for the foreigner, that you care about families, etc. So the conversation that we actually never have, that we need to have is how do you put all that together in a package that works? Okay? And, and is simply labeling what we do in immigration as either uh, uh, being soft hearted or amnesty or whatever these buzzwords that we use to try and to really, they, they don't help us in our conversation. They actually prevent us from having the conversation we need to have is there a way of taking the biblical values that life is throwing at you in which you've got two things kind of running in and colliding into one another and how do you make that work we're in the same situation in the lgbt discussion how do we have how do how do i live with a neighbor who i'm who i have to live as a neighbor with and who I, who the bible calls me to love whose values represent everything or many things that that the Bible challenges as being immoral? Mm. How do I put those two things together? How do I do that well? And how do I do that well, especially when in the, in the end my theology tells me the only solution to the problem that I face with that person is not something I do legislatively, but a changed heart? Mm. How do I get to that place
3: mm-hmm.
2: with the message of the gospel, and how do I – do that's, that's life Okay, coming at you, and you're asking, how do I put the elements of the Bible together, which tell me on the one hand I have this moral position that I'm responsible for, and, th- and this moral position that I that I represent as a person who's a Christian and who, ha- who has certain um, biblical and moral values that that I that I think are true and authentic to living and rooted in the image of God, all wonderful things. How do I put that against the the idea that that the only way that that the person that I'm challenging morally is going to get get a better life is to come into the experience of the gospel. How do I put those two things together? That's life. That's life in a fallen world. And so, and and the and the key thing is is that I'm not in any different position than that person I'm talking to. That's the other thing to never forget. That everything that I have received in Christ, I get not because of who I am, but because of God's goodness and grace. And that's what I'm offering to the person I'm having the conversation with, who I'm culturally engaging with. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't culturally engage in a way that reflects those core gospel commitments and that core self-understanding that what they need is also what I need, and that, and that we share the same space in many ways, mm-hmm. um, I don't think we'll culturally engage well. Well, unfortunately, our time is up. So, uh, but let me let me have you thank our our panelists, and uh, let me close in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to reflect on who we are as your children, and you've told us that we are ambassadors. Our prayer is that we might represent you well in the world. That as citizens of a heavenly kingdom that transcends nations, that we might love people of all kinds of different backgrounds and nations and beliefs, that we might do so well, that we might engage well, that we might, in the midst of taking a stand for what we believe um, you to have made us into as human beings and where you hope to take us, that we might do that wisely, sensitively. Courageously, boldly, uh, and yet have that peace that says that we don't need to minister out of fear or out of frustration because we know you are a God far bigger than that which we face. We ask these things in Christ's name, Amen.
1: Thanks for listening to the Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu/the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.
4: This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.